everyone and welcome to Building Voices, a podcast focused on conversations with people in the know on topical issues impacting disputes resolution and management in the construction industry. As hopefully many of you, many of you will know, the Ice Disputes team specialises in contentious construction work, both domestically and internationally, and we also benefit from a broad range of specialists in the team. My name is Frances Gordon-Weeks and I'm an associate here in the London office. This morning, I have the pleasure of being joined by Adrian Bell. Adrian is a long-standing partner and co-head of the Ice Disputes team. So, turning now to the topic of today's discussions. Today, we're going to have a look at the recent Court of Appeal Secretariat decision. The case concerns conflict issues when opposing parties to a dispute try to appoint experts from the same global professional services firm. Appointing experts is something as solicitors, and especially those dealing with technical construction disputes, do on a regular basis. So this case is bound to be of interest to many of you. Today, we'll take a look into the background of the case, discuss the decision, and also consider the impact of the judgment and what it will mean to us as lawyers and also to our clients. So, Adrian, over to you. Please, can you tell me more about the background to the case? Thanks, Francis. Um, This is quite an interesting case. There were two uh, arbitrations that were related to each other. Uh, The first arbitration concerned um, a a case between an EPC contractor and a developer. In that case, the contractor uh, brought arbitration proceedings against the developer, uh, and the developer actually counterclaimed against the EPC contractor on the basis of uh, delay and disruption. So that, that arbitration on one hand, and then Related to the same project was another arbitration where one of the consultants brought a arbitration against the same developer uh, for non-payment of fees. And again, there was a counterclaim um, in that arbitration. What happened next was that the developer, as part of the first arbitration with the contractor, employed Secretariat as a delay expert to advise it and assist it with uh, providing some uh, delay analysis in that case. The solicitors for the consultant um, subsequently notified uh, the developer solicitors that they were proposing to also use an expert from the Secretariat to advise in their arbitration. Uh, developer got quite cross, objected, and said um, that they objected to this on the basis that the issues in the two arbitrations were very similar, and therefore, in their view, uh, Secretariat would be conflicted. Um, the EPC consultant decided that they um, wanted to, to press ahead with Secretariat. So what they do is that did is they sought to justify uh, the basis for using Secretariat as the same experts on, for the reasons that they were different disciplines. Um, the experts were based in different countries, and the way that Secretariat was actually set up as a group meant that the experts were engaged through different Secretariat group companies. In addition to that, they'd also put information barriers in place. Uh, the developer didn't like that response, um, so they trotted off to the TCC to get an injunction uh, restraining Secretariat from acting under the consultant arbitration. Uh, the TCC uh, granted that injunction on the basis that it said there was a fiduciary duty of loyalty owed to the developer. Um, that case was then appealed to the Court of Appeal. The Court of Appeal maintained the injunction, but on a different basis. The basis that they maintained the injunction on was that there was actually an express clause in the appointment of Secretariat under the EPC contract arbitration, um, which prohibited uh, Secretariat from acting where there were conflicts of interest. Um, although that the terms of that appointment were 
addressed to and signed by a specific company in the Secretariat group. The court, uh, with, uh, the court held that actually that um, conflict of interest provision uh, should be deemed to apply to the whole group. Um, one reason they said for this, actually, which I thought was quite interesting, was that the conflict check that Secretariat had done at the time of its first appointment and actually referred to in the appointment itself said that uh, the conflicts had been checked on the basis of the whole group rather than just the group company that had been uh, entered into that appointment. It was clear from the Court of Appeals decision that you know, a driving factor for its decision was that Secretariat was kind of managed and marketed as a group as a whole. So whilst it was actually set up organisationally as separate entities, um, for all accounts and purposes to the outsider, it appeared um, as one group. So what that then meant is that really Secretariat shouldn't be deemed to be acting um, both for and against the same company on, on uh, the same project. The Court of Appeal said it would have been very different if it had been different projects in different countries. But this was a case where it was the same project um, and essentially still Secretariat, albeit different country entities acting for them. Many thanks for that, Adrian. So what is it that we can learn as solicitors appointing experts from the Court of Appeal's decision? Um, well, I think you need to be very careful with conflicts. I'm not quite sure how um, the parties found themselves in this position anyway, because you know, most lawyers and most lay clients will appreciate the importance of independence and impartiality of expert witnesses. Um, it's obviously a key concern for lawyers. It's one of the things that keeps us awake at night. You know, the last thing you want to do is get into a situation where you're getting close to your hearing and the other side raises concerns about the impartiality of your expert. And you're then in a position where you're thinking, well, do I need to go and find a new expert or am I just going to ride this out and hope that the tribunal gives adequate weight um, to, to this witness, notwithstanding the complaints about impartiality? I think that the, the advice from the Court of Appeal is helpful in that regard, although it is, as I said, very fact specific. It really does relate to um, this case where they were, um, you know, it was all on the same project, um, albeit that they were different secretariat companies. It's still, to me, clear from that judgment that um, it would probably be okay on the right side of the line um, if it was uh, different companies um, within the same group on different projects in different countries, particularly if. Uh, the expert you were using had different terms in their appointment. For instance, as I said, in this case, they referred to a conflict check that's related to the whole group. Whereas if in the appointment you referred to specific conflict checks or made it clear you're only really only binding that group, then I think probably under the Court of Appeals uh, guidance, it would be okay. Um, yeah, my concern would still be that's a bit borderline for me. Um, and you need to bear in mind how that would be perceived by a tribunal ultimately, because yeah, that's what you're really most interested in. If, you're, if you've got an expert, you want the tribunal to have faith and confidence in the independence and impartiality of that expert. So from my perspective, um, I, I wouldn't think it's worth the risk. Uh, of using someone within the same group um, for a project of that nature. You know, there are plenty of different experts around, albeit that we know for some disciplines, at least the pool's fairly limited. So, you know, Francis, I know that you know we, we've talked about this previously, but there can often be a bit of a kind of arms race when it comes to appointing the right expert. Um, parties try and appoint them early so that they've got a better choice. And I suspect that will be one of the outcomes of this case, that people will just be keen to get experts on board earlier because they'll realise that sort of the pool of experts, which is already quite small in some cases, will be uh, even smaller as a result of this case. Yeah, so um, 
I think what you're saying there is that it's important for um, instructing solicitors to carefully check the terms of the appointment for the expert and just make sure that um, any sort of conflict checks are taken out to look at the scope of the conflict check and just think about that quite carefully. Um, and it also seems to me that um, maybe solicitors need to do a bit of due diligence if, if they're thinking of instructing a global firm where the other party is also instructed an expert just to see how that company is structured from a corporate perspective and how those sort of separate entities are joined together and also how they market their services. If they market their services on a, on a global basis, that, that's something that needs to be looked into carefully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing really to add on your second point. I think that's entirely right. You'd want to do that due diligence about how the experts are set up. On your first point, um, I think people employing experts should look at the wording um, in the appointment letters about conflicts of interest very carefully, because my suspicion is um, many people will have read this judgment and will be amending their letters to have a narrower uh, category of clearance for conflicts of interest um, so that they can continue possibly to act on, on you know, for multiple parties on the same project, but from different country offices. Um, you know, my view, as I said, is that's still a bit risky. So I think you should look at what the uh, terms say in the appointment and you know, push back on something you're not comfortable with. Okay, great. Well, thanks for talking to us today, Adrian, and um, hopefully we'll speak to you soon when we have another topic of interest. Thanks, Francis.